This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. Engineers have watched over 2 million hours of Frontend Masters videos to upgrade their skills in the latest best practices in frontend development and Node.js. Popular video courses of theirs include courses on Advanced JavaScript, Angular 2, React, API Design with Node, and Functional and Asynchronous JavaScript. Many of their teachers have even been guests on JavaScript Jabber. Check them out at frontendmasters.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 248 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey, everybody. We have a guest panelist, Tracy Lee. Hi there. We have a special guest, and that is Ben Lesh. Hey, everybody. I guess I should say I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Ben, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, uh, my name is Ben Lesh, as you said. Uh, I work at Netflix, and I also have a side job working for uh, Arcs Workshop. And working with Tracy on this dot. So I'm the lead author on uh, RxJS. So uh, RxJS 5 in particular. So it's kind of I'm been sorry. a lot of my life Did recently. Did you say you're working with Tracy on this dot what? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> Is that like I that also... conference? Which conference? <laughs> that conference. Yeah. yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> But I also think it's funny, Ben, that you're like, I'm working for RX Workshop when it's your thing. Yeah, yeah. Like. <laughs> well, Tracy, uh, she, I don't know. She's my manager. Yeah, she's, she, she keeps me in line. I work for Tracy. <laughs> that nice. is the most horrifying thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> So now that we've thoroughly confused the listener, do you do you want to explain a little bit about RxJS and Rx Workshop and what those are about? Uh, sure. So RxJS is uh, it's basically about a, a async type called observables. So observables are very similar to a promise, but they can have more than one notification. Um, it, it, a lot of times when people talk about reactive programming, what they're really talking about is RxJS. At least when they're talking about it in context of uh, JavaScript. Um, and RxJS has been adopted by, uh, well, it's, it gets used by an awful lot of people, but it, it's most famously adopted by Angular in the latest incarnation of Angular, which I'm told we are not allowed to call Angular 2 anymore. <laughs> um, but, uh, it's, it's the only dependency actually for Angular. Um, but yeah, so it's, there's a, there's a bit of a paradigm shift when you're talking about reactive programming, you have to kind of change how you think about it. So, Rx Workshop is uh, a workshop designed by myself uh, to help people learn uh, how to think reactively, how to uh, program reactively, and how to use observables and all these these fancy operators that we've got included in uh, RxJS. So why is it so hard? I mean, w well, let's back up. What is reactive programming? Uh, well, reactive programming, um, if you want me to oversimplify it, it's it's kind of an event-based programming. So what you what you would have is at any given point um, you subscribe to some event and then it pushes an event at you and then you react to it and then you send it on its way. So with observables, you you have an observable which uh, produces values over time, and you can have all these operators like you can map and filter and zip two observables together and these sorts these sorts of things to um uh create various uh, effects in your in your program basically to write applications and uh reactive programming is a little different from imperative programming because the idea is it's a bit more functional what you're what you're looking at doing is kind of controlling the flow of your application through these observables um and trying to limit the the side effects that that your um, that your application flow has until you're ready to actually produce side effects. So, where imperative programming, which is what most people are used to, you kind of call a function, you set some state somewhere, and then somewhere else you call another function that reads the state. Um, and there's a lot more to test. Uh, it, it's a little bit different with reactive programming, which is declarative. <laughs> So is there a difference between functional reactive programming and reactive programming? Because I've, I've heard the two terms. And I don't yeah, know related, there, but. there is and there isn't. So functional reactive programming um, is this, it's a term coined by Conal Elliott uh, a long time ago. And, and it's got this, it's got these ideas around um, 
time and timing of events uh, that are a little different than than uh, what you would see with RxJS. Uh, but at the end of the day, so many people call RxJS uh, functional reactive programming that um, they're basically the same thing. I mean, it's 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 kind of it's kind of splitting hairs uh, to call one one thing and then and so like it's they both involve um, you know uh, transforming data that arrives via events um, reactively. Uh, they both are functional. One has more definitions around uh, you know around the the timing aspect of it in white papers or whatever they were written back in the day, but. Um, I don't think anyone expects most people in uh, front-end web development to know a lot of that stuff. So functional reactive programming, reactive programming, is totally fine. Uh, reactive programming actually does have, so RxJS is push-based reactive programming, right? So it pushes values at you. Uh, you can have pull-based reactive programming, and you'll see those things in like um, Ember's object model or with computed properties or uh, MobX, those those sorts of paradigms are, are more pull-based reactive programming. So what what does RxJS actually do for you then? Because we're kind of talking somewhat conceptually here. You have observers, and um, when something pops out of the observer, from what I understand, then you do something with it. Yeah, so RxJS, uh, what, what it really does is it has a lot of what are called operators off of this observable type. And what an observable really is at its root is it's just a function that takes an observer. An observer is an object with three uh, methods on it. So you can think of it like three different callbacks, uh, next, error, and complete. So next gets fired every time a new value arrives. Uh, complete gets fired whenever um, you're, you're done producing data uh, and you're, you just want to close things out. Error gets fired when you're done producing data in an, because of an error and you want to close things out. Um, and what this enables you to do is to have this observable that allows you to treat events as sets of things. right? So you, you can say, here's my set of, of mouse clicks. Here's my set of um, values I've pulled out of this array. Here's my set of um, you know, WebSocket things that have arrived or my set of Ajax values, which is just going to be one value and then it's going to complete. Uh, but there's a same shapedness to these sets that enable you to do things like you can concat two sets together, just like you can with an array, mm -hmm. um, because of uh, various set algebras. And then you've got, uh, you know, other things like you can zip, uh, you can flat map where you kind of map your set into a set of sets and then flatten it back out into a single set again. And all these sets are observables. Uh, the unique thing about observables, as opposed to other sets that you might deal with, is there's an element of timing involved because they're event-based, because they're pushing values at you. So unlike an iterator where you're synchronously kind of pulling values out, this is uh, you know, asynchronously pushing values at you. So you've got all sorts of other operations that uh, revolve around the temporal nature, nature of this thing. So you could say, delay all the values that are arriving with a delay operator, or you could throttle or buffer and that, that sort of thing over these sets. I think the thing that gets me excited, so sometimes when Ben talks about these things, it like completely, I'm like, what? It doesn't make any sense to me, reactive programming, but I made him sit down with me one day. And um, what gets me excited, even though I only know very basic functionality of how to play with RxJS is the idea that it's like a language, correct me if I'm wrong, by the way, but it's a language on top of JavaScript. Are you smiling? Cause I'm like trying to explain. No, no, this. no, no you're, 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 you're totally right. You're totally right. It's like, so it's a language on top of JavaScript and what it allows people to do is like developers and teams are able to like learn RxJS instead of something in a framework. And they're able to like, uh, code within this and not have to learn a bunch of different things. And you're able to create like one thing that looks exactly the same so that when it talks to all the APIs, the API, you know, you don't have to like continuously change. Right, right. So yeah, okay. RxJS Arcs, has all of, all of these operators effectively create a domain specific language on top of JavaScript. Uh, so you've got concepts like 
you know, flat map or merge map, uh, switch map, and these other things that, you know, when you're, when you haven't been using it, it sounds a little confusing, but that's because, you know, these are sort of keywords in RxJS, uh, not necessarily built over top of JavaScript, but these are like functions you would call off of observable that return new observables. Um, and what, what it really enables you to do is you can do things like you could have a multiplexed WebSocket in three lines of code. Um, and that's, that's where you've got a, a Can you explain WebSocket. what that is, a multiplexed WebSocket? R right. So multiplexing a WebSocket. So if you're getting um, multiple data streams via WebSocket, what you don't want to do is you don't want to connect. Maybe you do, but this isn't very efficient. You could you don't want to really connect multiple WebSocket instances for each data stream, because while you're only using four sockets on your client, you're going to be using four sockets per client on the server. So everybody that connects to that server is going to you know this isn't it's not going to scale well. Like you only have a finite number of of WebSocket connections you can maintain on the server. Uh, so what you do is you say, well, what if I take all of these data streams and I, you know, funnel them over the same WebSocket, just a single WebSocket connection, and I have them uh, keyed by some something to help you identify the packets on the client end. Uh, there's some complexity around that in that you, when you get your first data stream, you have to say, do I have a WebSocket connection? Uh, if you don't, then you connect to the WebSocket, then you have to wait for it to fire an event to tell you that it's connected, then you send a subscription message to the server to tell it which uh, pieces of data you're interested in, and then you have to filter out those pieces of data. The second time you have uh, a data, uh, the second time you want data, you're going to say, oh, well, I've already got a WebSocket connection. I just need to send my subscription mes message and uh, start pulling those back. And when you're done with either one of those data streams, you're gonna have to send an unsubscribe message over the wire to tell the server to stop sending the data. And when you get down to only one like data stream left and that one that one's done, then you wanna disconnect the socket. And so there's a lot of complexity around that, especially when you go to reconnect, you have to track what all you were, you were uh, subscribed to on the server. So that way, if you lose like network connectivity or something like that, you can reconnect the WebSocket and send all the subscription messages again and begin refiltering out those, those values. Like the, this is, Something if you were to try to implement imperatively is going to be, you know, maybe a couple hundred lines of code. Like it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be substantial. Uh, where with with RxJS, in particular RxJS five, you're looking at, you know, five to eight lines of code, something like that, to to implement this that sort of idea. So it's it's the the, the real thing with Rx is it, it takes these. Uh, it takes complicated when you when you've got really complicated uh, event composition, uh, say things like drag and drop or you know the the um, type ahead autocomplete type functionality you see on on some websites. Like those things are very very easy to do in RxJS with because it's a domain specific language built for combining different event streams. Uh, where doing it imperatively with JavaScript. Um, can get buggy and, it, and it's it, it's a little bit more complicated. Do you have an actual example of doing this kind of thing, like you know, with with a system? So you get just kind of walk us through the workflow because I'm I'm still having a little bit of trouble kind of visualizing in my head how all sure, the pieces sure. fit together. So uh, like one example would be uh, drag and drop is is a pretty simplistic example where you have. Some let's say it's like a div or something on your page, and you you want to just plain and simple. You want to be able to mouse down on it, move it however far, and then uh, let go of your your mouse button, and you know leave it there or fire some event uh, when that's done. Uh, what what you can do with that is you, you're actually composing three different sets of events. One is the mouse down on that target on that div. Uh, the other is mouse movements on the document after you've moused down on the div, but only until you mouse up somewhere on the document. So there's three, those are the three different events. There's mouse downs on the target, mouse movements on the document, and mouse up on the document. And what you can do is you get an observable of each one of those things. And observables don't do anything until you subscribe to them. 
So once you subscribe to them, you start getting uh, streams uh, of events from them. And you can say, take this uh, stream of target mouse down events. So when someone mouse downs on the target, and then you switch map it into uh, document mouse movements that you only take until there's a document mouse up. And what that means is you'll have this um, observable of document mouse movements, but only when you actually click on that, that div and start moving it. Then you'll, you'll all of a sudden you get these mouse movement events if you were to subscribe to the result of that. Uh, and with that, you can you know, move, the, move the div around, um, say on the last one, do something different, that sort of thing. So it, it depends on what you're going to do with your, your drag and drop. But um, you're looking at implementing a drag and drop in basically one, two lines of code, uh, as opposed to uh, the imperative drag and drop, which you know, gets, a little, gets a little hairy because you have to make sure that you're um, adding and removing event listeners properly. You, know, you mess that up, you've got some memory leaks where ArcGIS is just going to take care of that for you. So basically, it solves every problem, and it's awesome. And we should—it's the best thing ever since sliced bread, right? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's it totally solves every problem. So, all right. So the <laughs> the flip side is knowing when not to ArcGIS things. Right. So most most of the time, um, ArcGIS ArcGIS is great for. There's another thing that it does for you that's that's pretty good. Uh, uh, can which I interject is something here? Yeah, yeah. Go. Uh, which is, and you can, this is like part of this question to answer, and that is, are promises now dead? Uh, <laughs> no, no, promises promises aren't dead. In fact, um, promises are actually used as part of the observable API. If you subscribe to, it, to an observable with for each, you get a promise back. Uh, and that promise resolves when the observable is complete or if there's an error in it. Uh, the other interesting thing about subscribing with for each is if you have an error in your next handler, it's going to get forwarded along to that promise. Um, so currently, uh, if you have an error in your next handler, it will throw. Uh, future versions of ArcGIS are unlikely to do this because the the observable proposal that's before the TC39 is not going to do this. Um, and there's a variety of reasons for that. Uh, but yeah, promises are not dead. Promises have a lot of really great use cases. Uh, the problem with promises, and this is actually the thing I was going to get to, that's another good feature of, our, of uh, observables in RxJS, is promises don't have cancellation. So um, if you follow what's happening in the TC39 at all, there was a promise uh, cancellation proposal by Dominic Denicola. I, I thought it was pretty solid, um, mostly because I kind of liked cancellation tokens as an observable author. Uh, it was going to make my life easier if, if cancellation tokens were everywhere. Um, because they would be fairly ergonomic, but that's a different story. But the, the problem with promises, you can't cancel them. By the time someone hands you a promise, there's no way to say, uh, you better stop doing whatever you're doing. So if the promise is wrapping, say, an XHR, there's no way to call abort on that XHR, really, um, you know, with, with your root-level promise, unless you've set that up ahead of time when you made the promise to begin with. Um, and you can do that with things like Bluebird or... Uh, composing promises together it's kind of advanced but um at the end of the day 99 times out of 100 you can't cancel whatever you've gotten from this promise which means that you're going to have you know http requests that go out and they come back and you don't care about them anymore maybe because you've got a single page app and someone navigated to a, a tab or a view and then before the view data came back they navigate to a different view and then the data comes back and it starts, uh, it starts kind of processing that data. So the XHR, XHR2, which is X, XML HTTP request, uh, the newer versions are going to actually examine the uh, content header and be like, hey, this is JSON slash application. I know what to do with this. I'm going to parse it. And that's going to block your UI thread. There's going to be garbage collection afterwards. What you really want to do is be able to call abort uh, so it doesn't do any of that stuff. And with observables, uh, you you do that. It's it's generally the default behavior of any observable you set up to be able to tear down whatever is producing data uh, when you unsubscribe from it. Where with promises, that's not the default. Like you would have to go through some hoops to make sure that that was working right in promises. 
What about all this angular excitement with RxJS? And uh, we were playing around with, I thought it was so amazing to see that Firebase uses RxJS by default. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it totally, I think that um, for Firebase, it makes total sense to use observable or some observable type. Uh, RxJS, um, you know, is, is definitely the most popular, but it's, uh, since Firebase has this idea of pushing updates to you, uh, you know, push it push based API like observables uh, works really, really well. Um, you know, and I, I want to go back and touch on the um, the same typedness, as I said, of of I'm doing air quotes, same typedness of observables. One of the things that's interesting about observables is if you think about you can, resent, you can represent any number of values being zero to infinity over any amount of time being like instantaneously or you know, an infinite amount of time. And you can, uh, it can embody the setup of whatever's producing those values and the teardown of whatever's producing those values. I mean, really you can represent just about anything with an observable. Um, there are some things that are a little harder to represent with it, but by and large, you can represent just about anything with, with an observable. And that means that if you have, let's say you have an API and it accepts an observable of values that generally you're giving to giving, um, you know, maybe it's some stream where you're, you're pulling uh, some HTTP endpoint over and over again on an interval. And you've represented this, this stream of values as a single observable. Later on, you decide, no, I want to get this from SSE or WebSockets. Um, you can just switch that out, and since the since the the uh, interface is exactly the same, it's an observable. You don't have to change any other code to consume it. You could you could have your data generated by mouse movements or you know you know text inputs or whatever you want, and um, you don't really need to change uh, your APIs because they're accepting an observable, which could be just about anything, as long as the the values that were coming through obviously were what you wanted to consume. So basically you're uniting all of computer science through <laughs> observables. Yeah. yeah. So that what, <laughs> so the, what gets, what gets hard with observables actually is when you're talking about things like back pressure, which most people in web development, uh, front end web development in particular don't have to deal with very often. Uh, usually that's more of a server side thing. And what back pressure is, is when you say, Oh, you give me uh, a value, I process it in some expensive way. And then when I'm done, I tell you I'm ready for a new value. And what works really well for that is uh, like an iterable. But when you're dealing with async values, then you've got, um, then you're looking at probably like an iterator of promise is a little bit better for back pressure. So that would be async uh, iterators or like the async function star stuff that Dominic Denicola is, is also working on um, for JavaScript. It's very, very cool. Uh, the reason that it's it's different from observable, the reason that observable works really well for front-end web de development, though, is, is you can't really use async iterators for, say, you know, mouse movements, because you wouldn't want to allocate a promise for every single, you know, event on a mouse movement. I'm sure most of your listeners have subscribed to a mouse mo movement before and console logged it out and just watched it spam the bejesus out of their console. Uh, yeah, you don't want to allocate a promise for every single one of those. That that would be a little too expensive, uh, where an observable is just going to call, you know, a callback, a function for you. So it's not, it's not an iterator of promise isn't very great for targeting um, event target type things like uh, DOM elements and that sort of thing. All right. So I think there's another, in my personal opinion, hard thing about um, observables in RxJS, and that is the documentation. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> This so is actually, like a this is a call out for contributors. Please contribute to RxJS doc documentation. Yeah, I, I put well, a bounty isn't out. part of the problem that there's multiple sources that aren't necessarily correct, like or there's different versions. Yeah, so, so right now RxJS five, which is the new version going forward, it's in a different repository uh, for a few a few reasons. Actually, the original version of RxJS was written by Matt Pawasaki. He's the creator of RxJS, and this is. I think nine years ago now or something like that. And it was a straight port of um, uh, rx.net. So it has things like schedulers called current thread scheduler, which, you know, in JavaScript doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you only have one thread anyways. Um, 
it, it's the documentation around it was kind of was was kind of built uh, for those names and those things, and some of those things didn't make a lot of sense. And then when you have uh, the the observable proposal that's before the TC thirty nine. Uh, and my involvement there is actually my teammate, uh, Jaffer Hussein is the champion of that proposal or one of the champions of that proposal. Um, that is different from what RxJS is, but not RxJS four and under is, but not by much. Um, we decided we would, uh, rebuild RxJS, uh, one to be a little bit more performant because Netflix had some has some pretty tight performance constraints uh, where we use RxJS on our front ends for things like smart TVs and stuff like that. And two, to kind of target that um, target that that uh, observable proposal to make sure that we have an Rx that aligns with what's going to land in the future of JavaScript. And I think that's a lot of what uh, sold uh, the using observables to the angular crowd uh the the other thing that you're gonna i think see observables get used for in the future is actually in browsers uh i know some of the browser vendors were talking about um being able to hook into dom events as observables and so instead of saying you know add event listener um click or whatever you would you would say on click or whatever their api is going to be for the dom and you would get an observable of, of clicks uh so these this uh, observable is like right now they're they're really catching on they're they're here to stay uh but you know there's there's some mind bending to to go around if you really want to get the power out of out of rx and out of observables you're going to have to kind of unlearn what you've learned a little bit um but you can start small too you could use observables almost exactly as you've used promises in the past or use them very imperatively just subscribe to them and set some state and then go and, you know, do whatever you were going to do normally, uh, if, if you want, but, uh, yeah, there's the, it's, it's definitely coming in the future of JavaScript. RxJS five was written to kind of aim towards that future and be a little bit more performant. And the, the result of that is we have document misalignment where, um, some of the docs, if you go to uh, what is it? Reactive dash extensions on GitHub. Those are the older docs, and they're a little bit more complete because they've been around for a while than the newer docs for RxJS five, which are on ReactiveX.io/RxJS. Uh, uh, so uh, there's been a lot of work done on that. I, I have a bounty on it. Um, my bounty was if you if you help document two operators, I, I will send you an RxJS shirt. The bounty still stands. So I don't know how far. I'll with that, that did get a lot of submissions in, but we, we haven't merged them all yet. So, Ooh, I want a shirt. You'll, you'll get a shirt. Do I have to merge things? Maybe well, yeah. I'll do you it had, with you. Wait, you had one PR, you, you do have one PR contributor, technically. Hey, um, could I have you explain one thing that I think is potentially one of the most common uh confusions, and that is hot and cold? Okay. <clears throat> So hot and cold, they're almost, they're almost terrible names, but uh, an observable is cold if when you subscribe to it, it creates the thing that's going to produce data for it. Um, so if you were to, if the act of subscribing to it creates a new WebSocket, uh, for example, and starts pumping values uh, out of it from that WebSocket, then it is cold. An observable is hot if, when you subscribe to it, whatever's producing data for it already existed. Um, so, for example, if you have a button on a page that's producing click events, and then you make an observable out of it, it's technically a hot observable because the button already existed and was already creating click events long before you ever subscribed to your observable. Um, where, you know, the counter example would be like an interval or something like that. So you have a, an observable that creates a new interval when you subscribe to it and starts pumping out values one, two, three, so on. Um, because it's creating the interval uh, when you subscribe to it, it's cold. So the, the default state for most observables uh, is cold for the most part. And that is because uh, you can make a cold observable hot, but you cannot make a hot observable cold, if that makes sense. 
because how are you going to how are you going to create because uh, observables are just functions and if you if you had a function that wrapped something else that was producing data uh, how are you going to create another function that somehow creates that that other thing your your first function is wrapping it's you can't do it it's a chicken or egg problem at that point does that, does that make any sense i mean it's it's a hard thing to explain for sure um but uh, nutshell, uh, hot observables wrap something that's already producing values. Cold observables create the thing that's producing values when you subscribe to them. Yeah, I think that's a good explanation. Uh, there's, I got one other thing I want to ask about. Yeah. And, and that is, um, uh, why is there so many freaking requests? <laughs> when I include RxJS in my library or in my application, it makes like... 50 gazillion requests why is that <laughs> wait, wait so so when you include rxjs in your application all of a sudden you have more like http requests or uh, yeah so it, it like requests all these rxjs files right it'll request like 400 different rxjs files one for each operation could you go mm. over what what that is and why that is and how to deal with that well we'll have to we'll have to look at how your your app is is put together, I suppose. Um, what I suspect is that your the, just just to back up a little bit, the way that the way that RxJS five is structured is there's a lot of different operators, and most people aren't going to use all of them. They'll use like eight or so. Mm -hmm. And so what people end up doing is they uh, or people, what people really want to do is they want to just build like a bundle, or when they go a bundle with Webpack or whatever. They want to only include the operators they care about. So what we did for this, and this is an idea actually that came from the Angular team, uh, was we have these these patch modules where you can say import RxJS slash add slash operator slash map or add operator um, filter and so on. So you can kind of build the ideal operator for your app. And if you're bundling this properly, that bundled bit should just be built in with your app and you'll be able to use that. However, um, if, if you're in a situation where uh, you've bundled things to kind of lazy load, then I'm going to assume that uh, it's going to end up hosting each one of those, those add operator files that, that patch the observable prototype to have those operators. It's going to end up you know, hosting those separately. And then when it goes to lazy load specific modules, it ends up saying, oh, I also need these RxJS operators, and so you're pulling it down via Ajax. That's, that's actually an uncommon case. I hadn't I hadn't really heard that one, but uh, that's you know it's it's kind of advanced RxJS use case. So if you're just playing with it, you can always uh, pull in the entire bundle, which brings all the operators that exist to the table. Um, you know, but if if you're trying to limit your download size by reducing the number of operators, you're actually uh, you know, bundling and sending out with your app, uh, then you're going to want to use something like Webpack or what have you to to in these uh, these these patch modules to just patch your observable to only have the specific operators on that you care about. Let's take a break from this episode and really quickly talk about finding a job. You know, searching for a job can feel stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through an interview process just to find out that the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Well, there's a solution. Hired.com is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities. They make the job search faster, focused, and stress-free instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best. Hired puts you in control of how and when you connect with compelling opportunities. And after completing one simple application, top employers apply to you. And the best part is, is that you get money. That's right. They pay you if you get a job through them. Listeners to this show can earn double their normal hiring bonus by signing up with the show's link. That's right, you get $2,000 instead of $1,000. So go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. I had to step so, out for a minute. Um, can you create your own operators for observables? Yeah, absolutely. You can create your own. Uh, 
there's an operator really is nothing more than it's a method that you put on observable that generally subscribes to this, which is your observable, uh, inside of a returned observable. So you have to say observable a lot there. Uh, so it's a method on observable that returns a new observable that when you subscribe to it, subscribes to the source and like does something with it and sends it along. Um, so for example, like a map operator, uh, a map operator, you'd, you'd have a method that said, uh, named map and you pass some projection function to it, like your actual mapping function. And then you would return new observable and inside of that you would subscribe to this which is you know the the context for your method uh and you would pass to it an observer that when it got values you know put that uh that map function to use got the mapped value and then forwarded it along to the the observer that you got uh when you subscribe does that make sense it's a little easier to read it's not much code uh, -huh. uh when you when you actually look at the code but that's basically all an operator is, is, is uh, a, a method on observable that returns a new observable. Right. And the observable is just a stream of data over time, so it just transforms the data that it's getting out of it. Right, right, right. It's just pushing, mm -hmm. it's just pushing values at you via this next method. Right. So, so, for example, I could, if I have something pushing numbers up to me, um, you know, and it could be three, four, four, and, you know, and then I could have it translated so that it's row, row, row your boat, row, 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 row your boat or whatever right. to map it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Getting jiggy with it. <laughs> it's like, like every, it. every app I write usually relates to the ch children's songs, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do actually do that a lot. I think, uh, if you look through the, the unit tests in RxJS, there's, uh, there's a unit test where I, I have it saying like duck, duck, goose and, all sorts of all sorts of silly things. This is the hazards of being a dad, or the benefits, yeah. because yeah. you well, know songs. If you if you can't write if you can't write tests that are at least remotely funny, then I don't know what are you what are you doing with your time. <laughs> what about that fun operator you wrote? That bouncy one, the one that bounces up. Bouncy. And down. Oh oh oh. So. Uh, I'm working on uh, a reactive data visualization uh, library that it's it's kind of it's very much in prototype phase right now. But basically, there's like a tween operator that you can say give an easing function to, like a bounce in or bounce out. Mm -hmm. And if you give it uh, a set of values, it'll tween all those values um, on an animation frame. So you can get kind of D3 like animation effects. Um, but it should work a lot better with other people's frameworks because it doesn't rely on the DOM as much. Um, but yeah, it's, it's my new kind of pet project around this. I'm pretty excited about it. I, I did a lot of data viz work uh, here at Netflix uh, when I first started. Now I'm, now I'm actually working on the UI platform team, so, which is hiring, by the way. <laughs> Shameless plug. But um, working on Falcor uh, and uh, RxJS. So now I do a lot more kind of back end to the front end sort of thing. Um, but uh, Falcor actually uses RxJS, so. So like if I want a rainbow operator, I can get one. <laughs> a rainbow want... operator, yes. Yes, I think we could do that. We could. Yes! It would just map to like rainbow emojis or something. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so I've got another question for you. Yeah. Uh, it's very often that You've got a um, observable, right? Like I'm thinking maybe just a simple HTTP request. You want to manipulate, you know, format the data that's coming back, right? You want to do something mm -hmm. about it. So you want to adjust it just a little bit. Now, oftentimes I see people using map, but there's also like for each and do. So what's the right thing that I should be using when I'm working with this? Uh, if you're if you're just scrubbing the values into something else, you want to use map. Uh, okay. For each will actually subscribe to the observable, so that's going to start your observable doing things. Uh, do. Oh, that's interesting. I had no idea that was true. Uh, yeah, yeah. So for each and, and subscribe are both the same thing, uh, with slightly different semantics. So for each just takes a next handler, and returns to you a promise. So it's like a a non-cancelable way to call an observable. Uh, and then 
when you have like do, for example, is an operator. So do calling do won't subscribe to the observable. It's, it's basically an outlet for side effects. So it, it gives you a value. You can do whatever you want to it, but it's not going to actually change the value when it forward forwards it along. Like I wouldn't mutate objects in there, obviously, because that's going to change for the next thing down the, down the pipe. But, um, you know, presuming that you, you put, uh, uh, some function in there that updates external state or whatever. Uh, that's what do is for. It's for producing side effects. So updating, you know, dollar sign scope or something in Angular One or whatever you're doing, uh, you can do that in a do block. For each, you would also use to do side effects. However, for each again actually subscribes to the observable where do does not. And then map is purely for taking a value, transforming it in some way into a new stream of values so that's map is is where you really want to do that and and actually um you know when you're on the as long as we're on the topic when you when you talk about uh you know you get some stream of values and you want to scrub it uh a lot of rxjs is just that you get some stream of values or streams plural of values and you uh you combine them and scrub them and combine them and scrub them until you get a stream of the exact values that your application expects. And then you give that to your application and then it then subscribes to it in some way and creates side effects where you're updating, you know, the DOM or you're sending, you know, requests out or whatever it's doing with those values. But uh, that's a, a lot of what RxJS is about is taking a stream of values and transforming it into a stream of values that you expect. So if you expect numbers and you're getting a, a stream of, uh, Ajax responses, clearly you're going to have to take that Ajax response, glean some number out of it, and then then you have an observable of numbers. So I think that's most of my main questions. I've worked with RxJS a bit, uh, with Angular 2, of course, and uh, I definitely found it to be one of the harder things about moving to Angular 2. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Like, I know that there's a lot of benefits to it, but just the mental math for people that are moving from well, you know, promises were hard enough to get a grasp on, but now all of a yeah, sudden there's yeah. RxJS, right? Like, how do people get around that, get over that hump, and start really uh, feeling comfortable? Well, to to start off with, um, what you want to do is, uh, just, just to start off, to don't freak out. Uh, don't worry about all the operators and doing it the proper Rx way, uh, right, to start. What you, what you can start off with is just get your observable, subscribe to it, get the values out stuff them in some state or do whatever you're going to do with it, just like you would with any other callback or promises or whatever made your life easiest. Uh, and from there, you can uh, get into like map and filter, which you might be familiar with from array, um, kind of get your feet wet, and then you can start exploring other operators uh, like uh, merge map and these other things that are that where it starts to get a little bit more powerful. Um, you know, if you if you're doing this and you you still you know find yourself confused, there's there's a lot of good resources out there. Uh, again, I run uh, a workshop, Arcs workshop on this. We we do it how many times a year? Four or five times a year, Tracy. Something like that, yeah. Online yeah. and in person. So I think the so, next one's coming up January what nineteenth? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, if if you still if you still need help, you can always sign up for one of my workshops. But uh, other than that, I, I recommend just playing with it in uh, JS bin uh, by itself. Like don't, don't worry too much about the Angular side of it. Just, just play with it and write things out to console and see what you get. Um, and, you know, the, the more you do that, the more, the more you'll, you'll kind of understand the concepts. And then the only other thing is I can tell you that once you start diving into it, try not to have, uh, we'll learn about side effects and try not to have any side effects outside of a do block or, um, or a do operator rather, or like a, a for each or a subscribe. Like keep all your side effects there. Don't do side effects from within map. And what I mean by a side effect is a side effect is uh, whenever you affect something that's outside of the scope of your function, right? So if you call a function and it's writing to window.foo or something like that, that's a side effect. Or if it's even, even technically calling console log is a side effect, although that one's pretty innocuous. Um, you know, that's where you're usually just debugging or something like that. But, but uh, you know, that's try to keep your side effects to, to do blocks. Um, 
And uh, other than that, you know, just kind of play with the operators and, and see how they work. I was surprised you didn't say something like, do you stick to your do blocks or. <laughs> <laughs> what about like existing pro uh, coursework and tutorials and stuff like that? What are some of your favorites or ones that you at least know about? people to learn our uh let's see Jaffer hussein uh put together an rx uh, um an rx tutorial it's it's a little outdated because it uses i think like rx2 or something like that right now uh, but most of the concepts are are pretty familiar familiar um there's also there's also a good amount of courses on egghead io which uh, i think a, a lot of the a lot of the kind of beginner ones are free uh so that's a good place to go check things out and then other than that, uh, we've really been trying to put an effort in to make sure there's solid real world-ish examples on ReactiveX.io. Um, so you can go out and, and kind of see uh, those, those sorts of things in action. Um, really, though, I mean, if, if anyone else is like me, what, what I had to do was I literally had to uh, play with it. Uh, you know, read up on a few of the operators, uh, ask questions online. I, I'm highly available on Twitter. Usually people who uh, email me questions about Rx, I, I, I try to answer them as best I can. Every now and then I get one where someone wants me to basically write their app for them. I'm not going to do that. But um, if they need some advice on on which way to go or which operator to use, that's I'm usually game for that. Uh, there's also a kind of a choose-your-own-adventure operator picker uh, on uh, ReactiveXIO slash RxJS. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mostly just recommend people play around with it. Like get, a, get an observable dot interval uh, so you have like a steady stream of values coming in so you don't need Ajax or something like that and just understand that, um, you know, observables are all the same shape. The, they have a, a few different traits like an observable of one, two, three is going to happen synchronously an observable interval is going to happen asynchronously uh, when you subscribe to it. But uh, all in all, I mean, they, they still behave very similarly when you're talking about all the operators and stuff. So I would just get a junk observable like that, play with it, um, see how some of the operators work that you might not be familiar with. And, uh, and that's, that's another uh, difference between observables or RxJS and promises, right, is that promises by definition have to be asynchronous and observables don't, right? Yeah, they're forced into asynchrony. Uh, one of the things with observables is that uh, the industry would like to use observables to model um, event target, for example. And it's actually a little known fact that you can, uh, so event target is the API that they put on all DOM elements. And uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but you can take a DOM element, you can add an event listener to it, you can then trigger that event so totally synchronously and then remove that event listener also totally synchronously. And even if that event handler throws, even though everything happens synchronously, it doesn't actually bubble up to the, the, um, the uh, block that you're in. So that it doesn't actually uh, re-throw, it actually just reports that to like window on error or something like that. But um, yeah, so the fact that you can synchronously subscribe, emit a value and unsubscribe from any DOM events, and you want to be able to model DOM events as observables means that observables have to have that, that um, possibly synchronous type behavior. So I, I think with, um, with promises, one of, the, one of the things they were worried about and the reason that it forces asynchrony is because they're worried about this Zalgo concept. Um, and what Zalgo is, is I think it's like a Lovecraft demon thing, but you summon it whenever you, you have a behavior that's sometimes synchronous and sometimes asynchronous because you can say, you know, have some state here, uh, like up at the top of your code block and then call some function that's sometimes synchronous, sometimes asynchronous with its callback, alter that state and then underneath it, uh, check the state again. And if it's synchronous, it's going to behave differently than if it's asynchronous. And so it, it causes kind of a weird non-deterministic behavior for people uh, in, in some odd bugs if they have that. Um, however, if you're using observables properly and making sure that you're controlling your side effects, um, 
you're not really going to have that problem because you could have this problem with just basic functions too. Like it's not, it's not uh, a problem that's unique to observables. It, any function could have this problem. Ob promises don't because they, they force you into asynchrony all the time, which comes with some, uh, comes with some overhead. comes with some costs. So one thing that I've heard a few people do is they've said that Redux and RxJS are similar. Can you talk about some of the similarities or differences there, or is that completely yeah, yeah. wild? No, no, it's 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 a real thing. So um, Redux is built around this idea that you can use reducers, and what a reducer is, it's a function that gives you state and a value and expects you to return new state. And uh, the Redux stores are built around this. So every time you dispatch an action, it calls this reducer with the current state and the action you just dispatched, and it expects you to return a new state. And then that triggers an event that you can subscribe to and then get this new state and do something with it. So that's, that's kind of Redux's whole mo uh, model. Uh, RxJS, uh, we, all, we obviously have the concept of subscribing to uh, events. Um, so if we just had a stream of state, it would be roughly the same thing. And, and how we get that is you can have um, a subject, which is uh, an observable you can kind of call next to push values into. And then you can use scan, and scan takes a reducer. And it's exactly the same as the reducer that you would see in, in Redux. Uh, and then it's going to return an observable of that state. So the, the scan reducer gives you state and whatever action you push, pushed into your subject, and it expects you to return new state. And uh, then you have a stream of state. So it's, it's basically the same thing. So Redux, Redux stores could be written in one line of code with RxJS as a, as a scan. Um, however, uh, we actually, here at Netflix, on, on a, a team, that, the team I used to be on with Jay Phelps, and I know there's other teams around here that are doing the same thing, actually use Redux and Rx together uh, because Redux has a lot of really great tooling. Uh, Redux is really lightweight for what it's doing where an like a couple of observables with scan isn't necessarily, I mean, it's still really, really fast, but it's not quite as lightweight. The biggest thing is the tooling and the uh, community around Redux. And so there's a, there's a piece of middleware that um, uh, I wrote uh, with Jay Phelps that is called Redux Observable, and, and what it enables you to do is use Rx alongside of Redux to handle all of your asynchronous needs. So Redux doesn't do anything asynchronous by default, because if you think about it, you can you dispatch an action, and then it synchronously updates some state, and synchronously tells you that it's updated state, and then you synchronously do something with it. There, there's no room for async anywhere in there. So there's lots of different middlewares that people use to, to handle these things, and Redux Observable is one of them, and it enables you to use uh, RxJS to do these things because RxJS is really good at, at you know, debouncing and throttling and all sorts of async composition where there's no concept like that in Redux. Well, I don't think I have any other questions. Do you, Joe? Well, no. I think that's, that's <laughs> I have it. a question. I have a question. Go, go, go. <laughs> all right. Can we sing the Rubber Ducky song, Ben? What? I don't have the lyrics to the you Oh, oh my God! Right, I had she them said, ready. You're gonna make me sing on JS Jabber. These, these. Yeah. What if, what if their listeners aren't quite used to our sort of shenanigans? Joe and Charles have never heard us sing together. So we're gonna sing the Rubber Ducky song. Let's do it fast. You ready? Fast. Yeah. <laughs> Are you ready? Okay. Right, I guess. Right. Reactive Ducky, you're <laughs> Reactive the ducky. one. You make Redux so much fun. Reactive Ducky, I love all the observing you do. Keep going. Reactive Ducky, joy of joys. When I squeeze you, you make noise. Oh, no, it's supposed to be, you're my favorite async toy. Well, I think if you squeeze observables, they make noise, too. So there's that. Reactive Ducky, you're my very best friend. It's true. That was amazing. How That's, much would I have to pay you guys to go try out for America's Got Talent with that act? My God. You'd have, you to, pay, have to pay us much. You'd have to pay Tracy <laughs> not to do that, probably. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. I'm, I'm still trying to get Ben to write the entire Spice Girls song. 
with me, but we we got like partial lyrics for Angular wannabe Spice Girls. I'm just thankful that this new building at Netflix has soundproof booths that I can sit in. Which means I can make you sing more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I just well, want to point out that Reactive Ducky probably only makes noise if there's an operator for it. That's that's true. Well, you could make a, a noise operator, I suppose, but that would probably. be a side effect. So, oh, it's a side effect. Yeah, because you're, so, you're so you need a do operator. Then. Yeah. See, I was do. listening. Can you? Okay, so like, if you, if you were doing dad jokes or something, you can make like a fart operator and be like, "Oh, that was just my operator." Like, is that terrible? Oh, you're better jokes? at dad jokes than I am. <laughs> as long as we name the the fart operator smooth, then be. <laughs> Be the smooth operator. Uh, okay, we can sing. Oh, this is good. This is another song we can make together. Oh God, we're gonna make a song about farting in in RxJS. Please don't. Smooth operator. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think I think we need to do some picks. All right, uh, Joe. Oh, you want to go? Go ahead. No, no, no. Go, go for it. Go for it. I get to go first. Yeah, lucky Joe. I'm always the first one. Yeah, now I make him go first because he complains about it. <laughs> All right. So the one, the my first pick is something I found out just today, and it's almost serendipitous that I found out about it today. And that is Wasim, and I hate, I hate to butcher his last name, Shegram. Oh, uh, you're stealing my pick. Oh, Matryoshka. I'm Matryoshka. so happy that I get to steal this pick. Okay. But anyway, he made this Google Home thing where... Uh, it, he talks to it and asks it about RxJS. And is it your voice that's coming back at him, or is it? No, it's, it says voice? its name is Ben. If you can get your yeah. microphone up to your like, <laughs> it's really good. It's really yeah. good. You should you should try to you should try to get the the sound from his video into. into and the this really awesome thing is, it'll say I'll, you'll say make me an observable, and it'll say congratulations, you're an observable. <laughs> yeah. It's. It's it's uh, it is like he's he programmed my cheesy personality into it though. That's so that's good. Yeah, yeah, it's totally awesome. So uh, there's a video where he does this, and I'll like uh, post a link to the video. It was a tweet actually that he links the video where he's doing it. It was so hilarious, and he's like asking it questions about RxJS operators, and it's giving him like the help. It's so cool. So way to go with Steam for being so. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I'm I'm a little disappointed that well one I'm disappointed that you picked that because that was my top pick because I loved it and then <laughs> uh, uh, I'm also disappointed that I, I just got an Alexa so I don't <laughs> I can't I can't use that I'm gonna have to live vicariously through my friends that that have Google so, Home I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's too cool. It's like the coolest thing I've ever seen. So then I'm gonna pick that. Um, I'm also going to pick my NG2 Fundamentals course because definitely by the time you hear this, it'll be out. And so check that out if you're interested in learning Angular 2 or the or the framework formerly known as Angular 2 if you uh, really love Igor and want to do everything that he tells you to do, <laughs> which is don't call it Angular 2, just call it Angular. And uh, those are my picks. All right. Well, I'll jump in with a couple of picks. Um... The first pick I have is the microphone I'm using now, um, and it's kind of a, it's it's not an enthusiastic pick, but um, I have these Shure SM58 microphones that I bought. Um, I took them to Microsoft Connect, and then I also use them to record podcasts with my kids, because I don't want them to use the $300 microphones. I'd much rather have them use the $100 microphones. Well, my $300 microphone, the Heil PR40, finally died. Um, I actually saw a few reviews on iTunes where people were complaining about the sound quality. That was me. Sorry. Um, so I sound much better now, but not, you know, as nice as I would like to sound. And I'm working on that. But anyway, um, so yeah. So I'm using a Shure SM58 right now to fill in while I'm waiting for a new microphone to arrive at my door. And uh, it works okay. It sounds good. Um, I also switched off of my 16-channel mixer back onto my 8-channel mixer because it was also generating noise in the podcast. So, um, yeah. So I'm. I'm. Anyway, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, the 
mixer is a Xenix. That's X E N Y X eight hundred two, um, and it's awesome. So yeah, so I'm gonna pick those, and then I'm also just gonna remind people that JS Remote Conf is coming up. Uh, you can still get tickets. You at this point, when this gets released, you will have missed the early bird um, and the call for proposals. Um, but come and listen. We're gonna have some terrific speakers, and we're gonna talk about some awesome stuff around JavaScript. So uh, come check it out. I'm also doing Freelance Remote Conf the next month. Um, and I think we have iOS and Ruby coming up after that, if you're interested in those. So anyway, uh, those are my picks. Tracy, do you have some picks? Yeah, totally. I'll do my fun one first. Um, I, for some reason, got really obsessed with cooking for the past, probably since Thanksgiving. So I started a food blog, I think on Monday, was that yesterday? And it's called foodcss.com because I really like plating. Um, so if you go to foodcss.com, you can find some cool recipes. Um, but more exciting is my adventure into like plating ridiculous things. Like I, I can make meatloaf look really pretty apparently. Um, and then my second pick is going to be uh, Joe and I's NG Cruise. So early bird tickets just ended. But we just announced the full set of speakers. So we're going to have Jeff Cross and Victor Savkin doing keynotes and a bunch of other fun things. So if you want to come on a cruise to the Caribbean, come play with us at mgcruise.com. That sounds like so much fun. Um, if you're into cooking, um, I actually have scheduled a demo at CES with a company that has smart kitchen appliances. <laughs> so, Ooh, what is it? What is it? Uh, it's called Gormia. Um, and they, they have like six appliances that you can control from your phone. So I'm going to go oh, check it out. Like whenever you, whenever you said, whenever you said like, uh, smart kitchen appliances, I, I just imagine being chased out of my kitchen by a microwave. I know, right? <laughs> it, it's going to be cool. Um, I'm going down to Las Vegas tomorrow and I'm going to be down there for four days looking at all the new latest tech and yeah, that's going to be some of it. So. If you're listening to this um, after it's been released, I've already come and gone, and it's probably on my YouTube channel. Mm, Gourmet, uh, they have a sous vide machine, so I'm gonna yep. put a I'm gonna put a blog post on how to sous vide duck soon mm, because God, I, I love sous vide duck. Heard of one of these before, and and Jaffer Hussein just got one, and he doesn't shut up about it. Like he thinks it's the coolest thing in the world because it's the most delicious thing in the world. <laughs> I guess Tracy you can come cook at my house anytime you want. Uh, yeah, totally. I need more <laughs> friends in Raleigh. If you guys are in Raleigh, you should look me up on the internet because I need more friends to cook for, which sounds strange, but it's true. <sighs> All right, Ben, what are your picks? Uh, let's see. Well, my, my top pick was already taken, which is what seemed. Joe. Amazing thing. Thanks a lot, Joe. Um, but, uh, if, if I, if I had a second place pick, it probably should be close to the top is, is, RX workshop uh, again. It's the workshops that uh, that I run. Uh, Tracy and I have put together. They're online. They're in person. Um, we have different events uh, at different times, obviously for those. And I'm really excited about it because I love. I just love running um, RxJS workshops. So um, it's a lot of fun because I, I try to get as personal as I can with people and answer any questions that they have. Uh, Tracy's come up with some really good ideas for people to ask questions um, kind of like privately over Slack in a way. So if if people are a little bit nervous about raising their hand in, in front of a crowd of other developers or something like that, we can uh, get anonymized questions up to me and I, I, I tend to answer those. But um, I just have, I really love reactive programming. So I'm really excited to uh, get out there and try to, you know, instill as much knowledge as I can into other people. So Hopefully they can go back to their companies or whatever and kind of uh, spread the spread the knowledge a bit more. Um, reactive programming—it's on an, a hockey stick sort of upswing right now as far as popularity, and but there's still a lot for people to learn. So I think we deal. should. I think we should also commit to singing one song at RX Workshop every single time we do it. So <laughs> course, that's done. Of course you think that. I'm gonna. I can already see. She's drafting up contracts right now to make sure that I do that. Uh, let's see. Other other picks. Uh, you can get out on GitHub. Uh, TC39 has an org 
on GitHub, I recommend going out there and checking out all of the different repos for different proposals that are out. Um, the uh, ES observable proposal is is it's really important. It's important for uh, what RxJS is doing. It's important for the web. Uh, I recommend people go out and read that stuff and kind of see some of the reasoning why observables work the way they do. It's it's pretty pretty interesting. You can even go out and look at the uh, the now defunct uh, promise cancellation spec. It was pretty interesting as well. A lot of interesting conversations around that. Uh, and then uh, another plug for Redux observable. If if you're using Redux or uh, you know, you're you're into React, or you're actually using like Redux with anything else. You could use Redux with Angular too. Or there's a lot of people that do that. And uh, you want to get into reactive programming, or you know some uh, RxJS already. I recommend Redux Observable. It's it's a really lightweight middleware. And what we found with apps that we applied it to uh, here at Netflix is that uh, in React apps in particular, you end up with all your components kind of being stateless because you, not only have you moved all the synchronous logic out to Redux but you've moved a lot of the async logic out to Redux Observable. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty powerful and interesting tool. Uh, so I recommend people go check that out as well. Also, it has little animated spinny ducks, which is, it's like a derivative of three ducks and- um, Three like ducks, three ducks. Yeah, it's the RxJS logo colors, and yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> All right. So, uh, can you let us know where to follow you on Twitter and when you and Tracy are releasing your first album? Oh, uh, well, Tracy, Tracy will be the, the album front. I, I'm. You can find me on Twitter at my name, which is just at Ben Lesh. Well, my name isn't at, but you find me at Ben Lesh on Twitter. So, we should release that by the end of the year. It could be one of our New Year's resolutions. Tracy, go. can they find you on Twitter? Can anyone not find you on Twitter? <laughs> You can find me at Lady Elite on Twitter. <laughs> she's like a she's like a, a beacon for the, the web development community. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, thank you both for coming. We'll catch everybody next week. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Bye. That was fun. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Comp. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from the Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelancermotecomp.com.